Our scripture this morning comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. This verse is a response on the part of the Apostle Peter to the scoffers. It's actually designed to help the believer understand that God's plan is right on schedule. And along with that, to motivate believers to be all that we can be, all that He has called us and equipped us to be as we await His return. It introduces the day of the Lord. And it provides us with an insight into the reality that although God is patient, long-suffering, that He has prepared a plan of grace. And in that plan of grace, He has assumed all of the responsibility and all of the costs for man's redemption. That man might, might be redeemed from sin and uh, that there is an end and there will be an accounting. And so God reveals that to us through the pen of the Apostle Peter. Let's look at it. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The verse begins with the word but, which is a conjunction of contrast. And while the contrast is quite sharp from our recognizing uh, that it's been a long time coming, that the reality of it has been assured. The action that is described here in this verse, Peter presents in contrast to the patience of God to the long-suffering of God, which seems to have delayed the return of Christ. But God is patient, and judgment is coming, and it's because of His desire that every man everywhere have opportunity to accept the grace plan of God, that He lingers His coming. But the day of the Lord will come. The word day that's used here in the scripture Hemare is used in the Bible in two specific ways. It's used of a twenty four hour period of time, evening and morning, and it's used then of an unspecified period of time. The context is the thing that we have to rely upon to understand and define the particular usage of the word day when we are reading it in the Word of God. Is it a 
24-hour single day, or is it referring to a undefined period of time? <clears throat> there are a number of ways in which the word is used uh, uh, in Scripture when it refers to either a day or to a period of time. We have the day of salvation that is mentioned in Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. The day of salvation is a moment. Not even... It, it, is located within a 24-hour period of time, but it's the moment that the individual calls upon the name of Jesus for salvation. Jesus has come as the way, the truth, and the life, and no man is able to approach the Father but through Him. Jesus said that we are to believe on Him and when we call upon His name for salvation, in that moment of time is referred to as the day of salvation. The day of redemption is identified in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, and it's also a reference to a moment of time. Salvation is positional. By that I mean when we accept Jesus Christ as personal Savior, positionally, we are given eternal life. Now we're going to die physically. The soul and the spirit will not die. We'll be separated from these physical bodies of ours. But we are positionally immediately declared to be holy and without blame because we are in Christ. We have accepted the gift of His grace and in that moment, positionally, it's our day of salvation. But we don't see the redemption of all that until the rapture of the church and or the time that we die physically and we go into His presence. So while the day of salvation speaks about positional uh, salvation, the day of redemption speaks about the experiential aspect of that, when it will occur. And that's designated then in the Word of God as the day of redemption when Christ will come and redeem us in experience from the world and the conflicts in which we live. The day of Christ is identified in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it refers to the rapture of the church. So the day of salvation, our positional acceptance of Christ, and the day of redemption, the time when he, which He comes and delivers us, the day of Christ is the focus upon when Christ comes and raptures the church up out of the world. So it's at that point that the redemption experientially is going to occur, though it occurs at the moment we call upon the name of Jesus for salvation. The day of the Lord is the phrase that we have here, 
And the day of the Lord is mentioned here in Second Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 10, and it begins at the tribulation. The day of the Lord begins with the beginning of the tribulation. Let me try this again. With the tribulation that follows the rapture of the church. So Christ is going to come. It'll be the day of Christ for Christians, uh, but it will be, be the beginning of the day of the Lord for those that are left here upon the earth. It is going to, going to be the focus of our text this morning, and we'll enlarge upon that a little more uh, in just a few minutes. The day of wrath is identified in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, as well as in Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 15. The day of the Lord begins with the tribulation and ends with the destruction of this earth, the text of which we are reading this morning in our study, and that initiates the day of wrath. The day of wrath is identified as uh, the execution of God's judgment upon unbelievers. It will follow the thousand-year millennial reign. It will be at that appointed time that the text is referring to when the earth is going to be destroyed. For unbelievers, that will be the day of wrath. When they stand before the great white throne judgment, it's not so much a an evaluation uh, of their salvation or not their salvation, because they wouldn't be there had they already re- had they received Christ as their Savior. But it is a, a sentencing because the only thing that separates us from God in eternity is our calling upon the name of Jesus for salvation. So when they get to the great white throne, having not called upon the name of Jesus for salvation, they're going to be judged by their works. And we're going to see how that works out for them uh, a little further in our text today. So the day of wrath is the great white throne judgment. The day of God is the beginning of eternity and the spans of eternity altogether. So you'll run across these phrases, uh, the day of salvation, the day of redemption, the day of Christ, the day of the Lord, the day of wrath, the day of God. And we need to be able to understand then what is transpiring at that particular time. Our focus of our text this morning is upon the day of the Lord. And that is the day that the Lord refers to as the time of judgment that begins with the tribulation. And that starts out pretty mild. Uh, Well, if you can call a third of population being destroyed and a third of vegetation being destroyed and all of that pretty mild. The only way it seems mild is when you read the last three and a half years and see how... um, 
the tragic it is for those that are living here upon the earth during that period of time. So the day of the Lord refers to that period of judgment that begins with the rapture of the church as He begins to deal with those that are left here upon the earth. Uh, it is a seven-year period of time that forms that tribulation, but the the day of the Lord goes beyond the tribulation. It goes into the uh, second coming of our Lord. At the end of the tribulation, He will come bringing the saints with Him. Those of us that were delivered uh, at the rapture of the church on the day of Christ and have had the experience of our redemption based upon our salvation, we will come back with Christ and we will reign with Him upon the earth for a thousand years. That thousand years is still in, incorporated in the term the day of the Lord. It's at the end of the thousand years that Satan is released from the bottomless pit and makes his final attempt to overthrow God. And uh, it is at that point that our text is emphasizing the day of the Lord when it focuses upon the final destruction that is going to occur when there is the destruction of these heavens and of this earth. So the day of the Lord refers to the judgment that begins with the tribulation. It includes the millennial reign and it culminates at the great white throne which then no longer is the day of the Lord but the day of wrath. If we do not accept the provision of the Lord then we have nothing to expect but the wrath of God. The day of the Lord will come, Peter says, as a thief in the night. The usage of the statement that will come is important to us to understand that this is what we identify in grammar as the indicative mood, which means the mood of reality. Truly, really, in all reality, the day of the Lord is going to come. And it's going to come as a thief. <clears throat> Peter uses the illustration of a thief in order to express the idea of an unexpected intrusion. Yes, even though there is great tribulation being experienced on the earth, uh, the coming of Christ uh, is going to be of such that it is regarded as a thief in the night. As soon as the rapture of the church occurs, uh, we move then into that transition of the day of the Lord. Uh, and while others are wondering uh, where all the believers went, and if there is something to that, they will immediately be visited uh, with tribulation. And we studied that a while back and looked at uh, the tragic events that are going to occur as God seeks to judge. And so suddenly and intrusively, the day of the Lord will be upon them and uh, the tribulation will be underway. 
as a thief comes in the night, unexpected and unprepared, the judgments will begin. We're told then, in the which, during the day of the Lord, in that period of time, identified as the day of the Lord, the heavens shall pass away. The Greek term that is used here, the Greek word that is used, identifies that this too is a reality. It's in the indicative mood, the mood of reality. For us, it's in the future tense. And for that reason, because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance, uh, there is that event is going to come in the future. But the thing that I want to note about shall, uh, that the heaven shall pass away is that use of the middle voice. Now, we don't have a middle voice in English. We have the active voice in English, meaning the subject participates or the subject performs the action. We have the passive voice where the subject is acted upon. I go to the store. I initiate the action of going to the store, though it was probably my wife that sent me. But I initiate the action of going to the store. That's active voice. The passive voice, I'm taken to the store. Someone takes me to the store. But in Greek, we have the middle voice. The middle voice identifies a participation. It identifies that the subject that is being spoken of participates in the action. He doesn't do all the action by himself, nor is he passive in doing it, but he is involved in the actual action and he is affected by the result. Now the reason I point that out in such detail this morning is because when we talk about the heavens passing away, we're talking about the heavens and there's two heavens that are mentioned here. There are three heavens that are identified in Scripture. The immediate atmosphere around the earth, the atmospheric heaven, is identified as the first heaven. Stellar space where the stars and the planets and the sun and the moon and all of that is, uh, is the second heaven. And the third heaven is identified as the throne room of God, the dwelling place of God, wherever that might be. And uh, there are some who would say, well, it has to be on the second heaven, and so it has to be out beyond the furthest star, but uh, it could be a totally different dimension. Uh, as we look at it in Scripture. The atmospheric heaven and the stellar heaven are going to participate in their own destruction. Now, that's fascinating to me because the language that is used here and the description is that of a thermonuclear reaction. I remember as the atomic bomb was first introduced. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember 
when the first one was dropped and then the second one. And then the news began to come out for no one knew we had an atomic bomb. Uh, Harry Truman took over as president when uh, President uh, Wood started to say his name, can't say his name. Now, when uh, the president, Roosevelt, died, Truman took over, and it was during the war, and Truman was astonished to discover that we had such a thing as a nuclear bomb. And um, he elected to use it, and of course, by doing that, eliminated or stopped the war and, uh, and, and brought some semblance of peace. Scientists were always warning the danger of such an explosion. And later on in school, as I studied that process of a nuclear reaction, uh, it became very obvious that their concern was legitimate because with the wrong trigger, with an explosion of that nature and the chain reaction that occurs, the entire heavens and earth could melt and dissolve. So they're going to, that's going to occur according to our text in the day of the Lord. It's going to finalize the day of the Lord and usher in the wrath of God at that particular point. But the heavens itself, the atmosphere and everything that is involved is going to participate in its own destruction as that reaction is unleashed. And uh, they will participate in their own passing away with a sudden noise, the Scripture says. Literally, with a rushing sound will this occur. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The word elements, zoikea, identifies the basic materials and systems that cause everything to function as a whole. The law of physics and all of the natural laws, the systems that God has put into effect will be destroyed and the heavens and the earth will simply Dissolve. And they're going to do that, according to Peter's pen, with fervent heat, literally having been caused to burn with great heat. The word that is used here about being caused to burn with great heat is a participle, which means it's actually a causative participle. It means it's a principle. Whenever I use Identify a part of self while identifying a principle. Along with the uh, principles that relate to the elements of this earth, uh, there is going to be generated uh, then that chain reaction and they're going to burn with fervent heat. The word uh, is kasuma and it identifies, it's the word we get, the, the English word caustic from. I don't know if you've had any experience uh, 
with caustic soda. Uh, the, the word caustic means burning. And uh, I drove a laundry truck when I was in high school. Uh, my senior year, I drove a laundry truck in the mornings where I went by and picked up the gym towels from the boys' gym at the high school and the girls' gym. And then I went over to the junior highs, the two junior highs in town, to their gyms and picked up their towels, took them back, uh, delivered fresh uh, laundered towels to them and took the, the other ones in. I also had a very fragrant uh, diaper route. Uh, that was back before disposals. And so part of my day, my morning involved uh, uh, delivering laundry diapers to the homes and picking up the unlaundry diapers and taking them home. Well, one day as I was in getting ready to leave uh, the laundry, I my shoe was untied. That was before I discovered cowboy boots. And uh, I sat down on a can and tied my shoes. I got in the truck and it was raining that day. There was a little dampness about. But I began to be on fire. And before I got back to the shop, I was driving, leaning with my back against the back of the seat and keeping my seat off the seat because it was on fire. And uh, I went in and I I told uh, Tony, the owner, I said, well, I don't know, I've got something going on, I'm burning up. And he said, you sat on that can and tied your shoe. I saw you. He said, that can's caustic soda. Get those pants off now. <laughs> so he rummaged through the laundry and got someone else's pants that would fit me. And I wore them on the next run. And when I got back, he had mine done. Don't ever sit on that can, he said. So when I read caustic in the, uh, the Greek language, I can identify uh, with that as well. And... Uh, so it's that kind of burning that's going to cause the elements just to dissolve with loud noise and a great heat. And the earth also then is going to burn up and the works that are therein are going to burn up. The word works is translated from the Greek word ergia. And uh, it's a reference to the function or task of everything in the earth. It includes the cosmos system, the economic system, the commercial system, the political systems. But it also includes the assigned task and production for the inhabitants of the earth. What God has assigned. And uh, that's our ergia. And it's going to, uh, it's identified in Scripture as wood, hay, and stubble for the believer. For the unbeliever, everything they produce is wood, hay, and stubble. And so all of their assigned responsibilities uh, uh, is going to dissolve. Those that have tried to work their way to heaven, that 
they're going to find that all the work that they did is going to be dissolved. The word um, in the in the King James text says that their works that are therein shall be burned up. But the Greek word is they will be discovered. It's, it's from the Greek word heriska, and it means to discover by expiration and to bring to light. It includes the concept of those things that have been previously unknown by others and now being viewed and understood at that point. First Corinthians chapter 3, in talking about the believer's situation, <clears throat> says every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Now for believers... That's at the rapture. That's at the judgment seat of Christ. For the unbeliever, it's going to be here at the end of time. So every man's work shall be manifest for the day shall declare it because it's going to be revealed by fire. That's what the scripture here in Peter says. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If a man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he'll receive a reward. But if a man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, yet he himself shall be saved, so as by fire. That's for the believer. You don't have that statement at the end of the day of the Lord and at the uh, wrath of God and the great white throne judgment. We'll look at that uh, in just a moment. So, the expanded translation of verse 10, in Second Peter 3 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief, in which the heavens will participate in their passing away with a rushing sound, and the elements will be dissolved, being caused to burn with great heat, and the earth and the works in it will be discovered. Look at some of the dramatics of His coming. The day of the Lord will become a reality when Christ comes in the air to rapture the church. It will be then divine judgment upon unbelievers. In the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is spoken of. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. Isaiah 13, verses 6 through 16. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. In the book of Joel, chapter 1, verse 15. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. In the New Testament, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. And in Second Peter 3.10, all have reference to the day of the Lord. The world has been warned in all the ages concerning the judgment, the divine judgment that God is going to bring upon unbelievers. 
So it begins immediately following the rapture of the church, a the day of the Lord is then the conclusion of the Jewish administration. Remember, when the church was grafted in, Israel still had seven years to be the administrator. So they were uh, displaced by the church. When the church is gone, they come back on the scene. As we read in Revelation, immediately 144,000 Jews are going to say, Boy, the Christians were right. Christ is the Messiah. They're going to accept Him. They will become the evangelists then in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. That tribulation will last seven years. The last uh, three and a half years are so severe that 144,000 would not survive unless God put them in hiding. And so He brings two special evangelists on the scene, Moses and Elijah, and they evangelize in the last three and a half years. The the coming of Christ then will follow that seven year period and He will judge the nations of the earth and will restore Israel uh, as... Uh, uh, the administrators throughout this period along with Him as King of kings and Lord of lords in what we identify as the millennial reign of Christ. Following the return of Christ, the judgments at the second advent will occur then. And that's a ten-day period according to the feast that God has established. Remember, there are seven feasts that God gave us through Israel's law to understand His plan. There was the Feast of Passover that spoke of salvation. There was the Feast of Unleavened Bread that spoke of its provision for our fellowship. And there, you won't find that. I'm, I'm ad-libbing right now. So. And there, there was the Feast of First Fruits that spoke of His resurrection. And then there was the Feast of Pentecost that spoke of the churches uh, being grafted in. The three final feasts, at the end of the seven-year tribulation, Christ will come and uh, there is a period of time there to celebrate the Feast of Trumpets, which is the regathering of Israel uh, that will occur and then ten days between the Feast of Atonement and the removal of the curse from the earth uh, will be a time of judgment of the unbelievers uh, and their removal from the earth. And then uh, uh, we uh, have the removal of the curse from the earth and immediately following five days following that then we have the thousand year millennial reign of Christ. Uh, developing. So the day of the Lord will bring the judgments that are the subject of Revelation chapter 1 through Revelation chapter 19, as well as passages that we find throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. The second advent, following the seven years of tribulation, the three final feasts of Israel then, 
the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles, and at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign, Satan will be released out of the bottomless pit for his final attempt to overthrow God. He will be defeated, and his defeat will trigger the destruction that we've seen in our text this morning, the destruction of these heavens and this earth, which is described here in Second Peter. He's coming as a thief in the night. A thief comes unannounced. A thief doesn't uh, uh, just uh, be welcomed in, but breaks in and enters forcibly. And that's the way Christ is coming at the second advent. In Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 42, Matthew wrote these words of our Lord Himself. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord will come. You know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man come up. And then he said then, in the which the heavens and the earth will pass away. Their purpose, the purpose of this earth and these heavens uh, will be fulfilled and they will be destroyed by fire. The earth and the works will then be revealed uh, for what they are. The word works refers to one's assignment or task. And so an analysis of the purpose of the earth will be discovered at that point. An analysis of the purpose of every individual and everything will be discovered when it all breaks down and passes away. In Revelation chapter 20, beginning at verse 11, we have this written concerning this event. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. At the rapture of the church, we're judged according to the work of Christ. And His righteousness and perfection having been credited to our account, but at the end of time, the unbeliever stands before the great white throne and it's His works that are going to be evaluated and the standard is perfection and there will be none that meet that standard and so they will be cast into the lake of fire that burns throughout 
eternity. Peter's intent is to inform us and motivate us. To give us information concerning what is ahead and hopefully by that information to motivate us to do what God has called us to do as citizens of the kingdom of God, not living in our own kingdom right now, but living alongside the locals in this world that we might do our king's business. Peter has informed us of our role as sojourners. He's warned us about the false teachers that are motivated by their old sinful natures that would sidetrack us from our service. And now Peter has revealed uh, to us the plan that God has for this universe and the human race. He's informed us that this universe and the various forms of life that are here are temporal. He's told us that judgment is coming and evaluation of our service as stewards, as servants, as husbandmen, as ambassadors is imminent. Peter's echoed the voices uh, uh, of uh, those that have preceded him in the Old Testament and through the New Testament. We have uh, seen the warning and in the New Testament we see the Apostle Paul talking about the inflammability of our works. Peter has said, as long along with Paul, that the service that we perform when we're out of fellowship, when there is unconfessed sin in our life as a believer, that that's wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to, going to burn away a judgment. But that that which we do while we're under the control of the Holy Spirit, when our known sins have been confessed, will be gold, silver, and precious stone. Fire only purifies those things. It does not destroy it. So, the evaluation of our works as believers will occur at the rapture of the church, and that will start the clock for the events of the tribulation, the millennium, and the destruction of the earth that we have seen in our text this morning. Judgment is on its way. Our knowledge that that judgment is sure to come should serve as motivation that we might use our spiritual gift, either administration or teaching or exhortation or service or mercy or helps or giving or word of knowledge or word of wisdom, that we might be faithful sojourners in our role as stewards of God, as servants of His household, as husbandmen in His field, as ambassadors for Christ. Peter gives us this information to motivate us. Look at the verses that we will look at next time in verses 11 and 12 of 2 Peter 3. Seeing then that these things 
shall be dissolved. What manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God? Remember, that's eternity. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The day of the Lord refers then to Jesus' coming again. At the appointed hour, the church will start the clock ticking when it is raptured from the earth. The tribulation will be ushered in, followed then by the second coming of our Lord, by His millennial reign. And then at the end of the thousand years, when all the prophecies have been fulfilled, the earth will be destroyed and man will be judged as we move into eternity, the day of God. So the stage is set. Peter has informed us about the future events with all of the elements, the energy, the operating laws that have been established by God will no longer be in existence. Peter sets forth an absolute truth of Bible doctrine. Jesus is coming again. Peter's challenge of this absolute is raised by his question. Now, since in this way all things are going to be destroyed, what sort of persons must you become in a dedicated sojourner role, what is the spiritual walk that you are to walk to look like? Peter will help us with that in our examination next time. Now the end of the world is a fact of the future. But before the world come, the, the end of the world comes, we have to complete the church age. Followed by the seven year tribulation, then the advent of Christ, and then Christ's thousand-year millennial reign. So what we're talking about is at least a thousand and seven years away, but we will experience the rapture of the church before that begins. And that could occur at any moment, at any time. All the prophecy that has been revealed that must be completed before He comes for the rapture church is a done deal. It's a matter of His patience as He waits the appointed hour. In our study of Second Peter 3, 11 and 12, we'll be confronted then with the issue of what manner of persons ought we to be based on our understanding that both the heavens and the earth are going to be destroyed, we will see then the need to understand why we're here, what we are to be doing, what our personal day-to-day role is to be in order to live out our purpose as sojourners. Of course, it all begins at salvation. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.